The Women in Media podcast is proudly sponsored by Organic Traditions for spring 2024. Stay tuned for a special deal during this episode. I'm Sarah Burke, and this is the Women in Media podcast. I'm really excited for this episode because I have a lot in common with my guests. Our careers began at the same university, the same company, and in the exact same position. No wonder we were so jealous of each other. The advice I would give my younger self is to just be okay with who you are. Stop trying so hard. Stop trying to fit a mold. Instead, be okay with who you are because who you are is your marketable difference. And that's what sets you apart from everyone else instead of just blending in. I interviewed Tyrese Gibson from the Fast and the Furious franchise. He was promoting a book that he wrote called How to Get Out of Your Own Way. That piece of advice has stayed with me. And it's this idea that you're the only person holding yourself back from success. And I constantly am checking myself as, am I the one stopping myself from doing this? Most of the time, yes. She is a former Much Music VJ, and she's now the LA correspondent for eTalk on CTV. My guest is Liz Trinier. So you're sort of waiting out the pandemic in Colorado. You're in your husband's studio. We have a studio uh, in LA. That's his main studio, but this is uh, his studio here. And so I've got like 303 representing in the background. And I wish I knew how to play the guitars and, and the keyboards all in front of me, but... I don't. I have really no musical skills outside of the shower. It's really funny that you and I just reconnected because we've known each other for a really long time. We actually graduated from the exact same program at uh, the University of Western Ontario. MIT is this like really interesting program called Media Information and Technoculture. I always tell my friends when they ask what that is, that it was like us studying tablets before anyone knew what an iPad was and things like that. Is that what you would say? I like to tell people that it's kind of a culmination of all media studies, but super rad and alternative. And you can basically pick your own stream, whether it's music journalism, uh, new media, whatever it is. And it's funny because I look back at my audition tape when I was in fourth year university, when I was auditioning to be a Much Music VJ, I'm like, this is my computer where I do all my social networking. And it's the idea that I called it social networking in 2010 or 20, 2009 is so funny because I would never say, uh, I'm just going to, I'm going to take a break and go do some social networking on my computer <laughs> right now. Uh, so, <laughs> yeah. I also talk about the fact that um, one of my professors, said that there will be a robot in every household by 2020. We're not quite there yet, but we are very close. So that's that's what I took away from MIT. Hey, Google, are you listening? <laughs> that's the thing. It's true. We do have a form of a robot. Even our, like, if you have a, a Dyson vacuum cleaner or anything like that's remote or portable, it's like, that's kind of like, a, or a Zumba, one of the, or what are those little, like, yeah, a Roomba, a Roomba, a Roomba, a Roomba, Zumba's the dance. <laughs> Anyways, a Roomba, yeah. those things are like little, little robots that clean your house. So yeah, I totally have one and it's totally connected to my network. It, yeah, we studied all of this, how it was going to become like something that's more in the background instead of something you have to like physically do, mm -hmm. which is crazy. So also funny that we just reconnected because um, as I was putting together this podcast and, you know, getting ready for my launch, I thought to myself, I was thinking about like some of the heavier topics about women in media and I was like, when in my life have I, you know, felt like jealous or like, like wishing I had someone else's career. And I thought back to a time where I was so insecure and you and I had both just um, got hired on at Course Entertainment as summer cruisers. This is like the entry level, you know, radio job where you drive the summer car around for a living. And my God, was I so jealous when you got your much music gig of uh, becoming a VJ. Like, it kills me that I couldn't be happy for you at that time in, in my life because right now I'm so proud of you. And I watch like what you do every day. You're doing something very cool. It's funny that you say that because at the time when we both got hired, so picture this, I grew up in London, Ontario. I grew up listening to FM 96, which is a rock radio station. And I knew that I wanted a career in television. That was like my number one goal, but I was, you know, 20 and I was kind of just figuring baby steps as to how I could get into the industry. Did I want to do music? Was I wanting to do music licensing, which was, is still a passion of mine, but I had all these avenues and I just figured why not 
try out for this radio job. And when I tried out, I thought I nailed it. I was like, oh yeah, I like won over the room. I had them laughing. I knew a few people in the room. They were kind of homies from the scene in London, Ontario. And then this Toronto kid comes in and she gets FM 96 and I get put on the oldies like rock station. And I got to tell you, the only thing I vibed with, I was like, I used to have to talk about bands that I was like, oh gosh, like, you know, I'm not like a, I'm not an oldies fan, but now I am, you know what I mean? It opened up. I was such a new music kid at the time and new rock music, especially, but then because of that job, I, it opened my eyes to a whole new chapter of like music obsession in my life. And I'm so grateful for it. But at the time I was so pissed at you because I was like, how did you get FM 96? Like, that's my shit. Like Kings of Leon is my favorite band. Like, come on. Like, Well, you know, it's great you mentioned Kings of Leon because I literally remember you at a Kings of Leon concert um, saying to me as we crossed in the hallway, you said, oh, I'm going to the bathroom, Sex on Fire. Like, I like them before this song. I remember that. <laughs> what a brat. <laughs> okay, uh, for anybody listening, I am not a total turd Ferguson. Like, geez, whatever. <laughs> I would have said that about like oldies at the time. I feel like I liked oldies and FM 96 opened me to new music. It's so funny. We've had like very intersecting, but different experiences with this whole thing. My point though, you know, I think we both can celebrate each other now, comfortable mm-hmm. in our own skin, although it hasn't always been easy. And I think part of that is because when you are first getting into this industry, it's a little intimidating. What do you remember about even your time, like starting at Much Music, which is a huge gig for a young woman? Before I get to Much Music, I need to just add that I admire, I tell my husband all the time, I admire anybody in radio so much because radio, it's, it's in so many ways, it's singular, right? Like you can just hear it. And with TV, I have my expressions. I have my face. I have, you know, I can like kind of make a face and people know what I'm thinking. I can use my hands. And I was so bad at radio. So it's a good thing that you are the queen of radio. And I stayed in, I ventured off into my own lane because gosh, like radio gives me like the sweats. Like I get like super nervous and I'm just caught up on all my words and stuff. At the beginning of my career, when I first won the Much Music Video Search, just to give you some perspective, 3,999 kids didn't win. So there were 4,000 kids who were competing in the competition. I say kids. I mean, there was not kids, but 4,000 people were auditioning at the time. I won. So therefore, 3,999 people did not win all of their friends, all of their fans, some of them were YouTubers at the time, all of their families, everybody was setting me up to fail because everybody wanted their person, their pick to win. Not everybody, but you know, I obviously had a fan base behind me and it was incredible support. But when you're 21 years old, you're moving to a new city, you're moving out of your parents' house for the first time, you are on national television within four weeks of you winning this contest. Twitter is popping off and people are just tweeting their every thought it's you know your hair looks ugly you're why is she standing that that way why is she saying that she's I don't know the the comments I used to get were just so hard and especially from a university kid who was just kind of minding her own business working at a rock radio station in the day and 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 bartending at night it's like you you get kind of catapulted into this industry and I was so insecure. I went home and cried almost every single night for the first three months of my job because I was just insecure. I I didn't know who I was. I was hearing all these voices from various producers saying, oh, you should try this. You should wear this. You should do this. And uh, why don't you act a bit more like this, VJ? And da, 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 da. And at the time, I just was so lost in who I was that I second guessed everything. And I mean, I'm still like that to a certain degree. I obviously think about things and I'm I lead in a life with a purpose, but at the time I was just a scared little chicken in front of that camera. And so one of my camera guys, shout out to Chris Corrado, um, he stuck a toy soldier on top of the camera so I could focus because I had such a hard time looking into this camera lens, knowing that I was speaking to Canada. And um, I won the VJ search on December 4th. 
2009. And my first day hosting a full hour television show was on January 5th at noon hour. And it was video flow. And it was a full hour of just me by myself talking to a camera. So the intimidation factor. Also, I've never done television before. I was the only thing I had in my back pocket was radio and radio. I really wasn't that good at. So it was just this whole new world. But at the beginning of my career too, I was like a kid in a candy store. I went into the music archives, into the, the basement of much music. And I pulled like every interview that was my favorite. Like, cause I was, when I say I was obsessed with much music, I mean, I was obsessed with much music. My mom is going through all our VHS tapes right now. And she dug up like videos after tape after tape of me recording Blink-182 interviews and like Blink-182 only like their every music video possible. She's like, can I delete these now? And like the much music video awards. I was like, I just loved it. I was, it was just a dream of mine to be in that world. And then I got in that world and I was just like, uh uh-oh. What did you sign up for? I think a lot of us think that. And, you know, to echo your your sentiment around people watching, like, I think we yearned, if I, if I may assume, I think we both were uh, yearning for the spotlight, but then very quickly realizing that it comes with all sorts of responsibility. That's just it, too. It's like the responsibility factor of <laughs> when you say something, it's there. And also you are now jumping into you used to look up to much music VJs as a, as role models to you are a role model now. And on top of it, I was 21 living on my own for the first time in a big city where I could go to a rock show every single night and I could live free and make all my own meals and order what I wanted to. Like it was, I mean, I had two roommates and it was a very modest lifestyle, but you know, it's, I think about, 21. And I think, oh my gosh, you were such a baby. Let's go back to the origin story of you wanting to get into uh, television. Was there a VJ that made you want to do that for a living? Oh, I could name so many, but ones that stand out to me are Sukyun Lee, Namageni, and Amanda Walsh. I recently ran into Amanda Walsh in LA at the LA consulate. They were, they were having a party for the Grammys, I think, or I can't remember. And I ran into her and I was starstruck. I saw her from across the room and I was like, that's Amanda Walsh. She's, she's like the person who really like inspired my career. And I loved, you know, there's, there's something so unique about every VJ. You, I loved them for different reasons. Like for instance, George Strombolopoulos, I loved Strombo for his encyclopedia that lived inside of his brain. Like he just knew everything about music. He was so confident. He, came across like, oh, yeah, I'm just going to sit down and have a conversation with this person. It's not really like a celebrity. It's not really a whoever. Um, and then Sukyun, I mean, she's was just so effortlessly herself and was so unique. And for me watching that, I was really inspired by her uniqueness. She didn't, you could tell it every move she made, everything she wore, everything she said, was what she wanted to, which is very hard in our world, you know? And Nam was just so cool. Like she breathed this coolness that she came on the screen. I just loved listening to her interviews and her conversations. She was so thoughtful in her wording with questions. And then Amanda Walsh for me, she was the girl next door. She was the youngest VJ at the time. I think she got, she won the, or she became a VJ at 18 years old and she was- Holy, yeah. Yeah, found in rural Montreal or rural Quebec somewhere. So it's just kind of a cool story. And so I resonated with her, especially at the beginning of my career, being like a small town kid. I mean, London's not small town, but coming into a big city and and being quite young at the time, becoming a VJ. Um, But she was such a sweetheart on TV and that really came across. And I think I, I really admired that about her. So it was very funny. I, when I went up to her, I kind of word vomited. I was like, Hi, I'm Liz. You don't know me. Uh, I'm a much VJ. Well, I was a much music VJ. Now I live in LA with my husband. Um, anyways, uh, I started and it was just like, and she's like, (laughs) I know who you are. And I was like, Oh my God, cool. And I was like, Oh my gosh, like maybe I could exchange numbers and like, we could be friends. So I have her number on my phone. I've never texted (laughs) her, but yeah, it's just funny. Cause when I think back to that time, like 
I was, I was just, I would be glued to the television. As soon as I got home from school, I would turn on much music, watch every music video, watch every interview. And Strombo actually just commented on one of my videos and on TikTok and said, they were so lucky to have you. And I literally texted three of my girlfriends being like, oh my gosh, like Strombo's a friend of mine now. But the fact that he said that means so much to me because it kind of is this validation. It's a career validation of like, thank you. Like it's a peer, but it's also someone who I looked up to so hard. I got a lot of that when I launched this podcast too, you know, hearing from former bosses uh, and, and seeing like comments from people that I so respect in this industry has been a really cool part of it. And for any of those people who are listening, you know, um, I think it's really important that we take the minute to send those little notes because people in this industry are so insecure. <laughs> yeah. It's so, you know, another thing that I've, I've noticed in, in my career is comedians, you know, comedians are always these people who you think they're so funny. They're like the, the life of the party, all that stuff. But then you realize that they're all so insecure and it's so true. Everyone, everyone in this industry kind of second guesses it. And even if they are acting like they're cool, calm and collected, there's probably a part of them that's not and they're faking it till they make it. Well, at least that was my motto. But yes, sing praises. Tell people when you appreciate them. Also, don't burn bridges because you never know who's going to come back around. And I mean, our idols might become our peers eventually. And it's a really cool moment and be proud of yourself to have that achievement and, and grasp that. I, I, I think it's a pretty big win. So given that we've discussed that we both weren't always feeling secure in our jobs, I don't think uh, we always feel empowered in the media. I think sometimes people are trying to stuff us into molds. I think people sometimes are trying to tell us a, a different avenue than we may have in mind. If we look at you know advice in the industry, is there ever a piece of advice that you got that really uh, changed the way that you did things? You know, I had a pretty harsh conversation with a boss at the time who is a friend of mine now. And um, she sat me down. It was earlier on in my career. I was just, it was so transparent and it was coming across on screen that I was so nervous. I was so unsure of who I was and just lost. And she pulled me aside and she said, I really think you need to go study at Second City. I think it will be good for you. I think it will build your confidence up. I think it will get you out of your head and just say yes, as we say in improv. Yeah, yeah. And it, when I say there's like a career pivoting moment, it was the career pivoting moment for me. Things started changing after I studied at Second City. I walked differently, <laughs> not not walked, but like I just had a different stance. I didn't. I wasn't so in my head about things. I was able to listen and react, not just be like, oh, what's my next question? What's my next question? I was able to be in the moment. I was able to be off the cuff because in our job, we used to shoot in the streets of Toronto. So things would happen and we'd have to address it. You know, if someone's dancing behind you, you're like, oh, hey, what's up, dude? And I wasn't, I didn't have that skill or the confidence to embrace that and let that kind of like out of the control bubble because television you almost want to control every move but that was what's so unique and special about much music is that it was this off the cuff kind of vibey thing like you'd come back from commercial break you'd have a, a twizzlers in your mouth and you'd be like what's up everybody just eating licorice over here and it, that's kind of what you grew to love about much music so I credit her so much to that moment and just at the time I saw it as such a defeat. I was like, she thinks I suck. She thinks I'm the worst. I have to go do all this stuff that other people don't have to do. But now I look back at it and I was like, wow, what a huge career pivoting moment. And I just was leaps and bounds better after that. And I continued to own my craft and work on my craft after that. I kind of feel what you're saying there in, you know, how I used to work the phones at FM 96. I think that I, at one point, you know, realized that if I treated every call as if it was live on the radio, even though they were being recorded during commercial breaks or during songs, you could start reacting in, you know, just a more you way. And it was a practice. It was a way to practice for interviews with like big artists. It was a way to practice everything else. And that's what's so unique about our jobs is we have this incredible opportunity to connect with these icons and idols around the world and people we've looked up to, people we admire, people we listen to on our walk to work. And 
at the end of the day, they're just people. And that was another lesson that improv kind of, it, it taught me. It's just that you go home and you're tired. You want to take a nap. You want to like turn on your favorite comedy show. It's like, we're all people, you know, we all have the, we all have problems. We all have insecurities. It's so important for us to kind of sit back and, and not hold everybody on a pedestal because I don't think everyone wants to be on a pedestal. And it's also helped me talk to the audience, like be interact with the daunting screen that was staring at me, this like camera lens that was staring at me. It was like, no, I'm going to just talk to like my friend Megan from back home. She's at back home watching me. I'm just going to talk to her. Yeah. So two part question, two different sides of the same coin. Tell me about an interview that you were really proud of with someone that you really looked up to. Ooh, this just happened a few weeks ago. Good. <laughs> I have, when I say that I am so grateful for my career, I am insanely grateful for my career. I have a lot of pinch me moments, a lot of moments where I was so incredibly nervous. I thought I was going to throw up like Lady Gaga just almost died and gone to heaven. I was, it was just this great moment. And my best friend and I was at the MMVAs. Um, She had just performed this epic, epic show and everybody had gone home. Everybody went to the after party, sorry. And someone came by and said, we, we might get Lady Gaga. You'll have like 10 minutes with her. And I was like, uh, but I haven't prepared. I, I don't, I don't have any question. Uh, okay. And they're like, it's fine. So I went back down to the green room and I told my best friend, Kathleen, and she, she, she grabs me and she's, we both like did like one of those screaming, like holding onto each other's hands. What? Like, we're just like screaming, like two giddy little schoolgirls being like, this is the coolest thing ever. And she kind of gave me like a pep talk of like, just go in there, just ask your questions. Like, and what was so iconic about Gaga at the time is that she was just coming out. She was crushing it on the, on the radio, crushing it all around the world. Um, number one everywhere. She was the it person. She had an entourage of like 20 people and she told them all to stay out of the room. And it was just her and I and our videographer. And that moment for me was just so cool. And I don't know if I want to watch the interview back because I don't know if the interview was any good, but the fact that I held my composure and kind of celebrated that moment that I was not going to get to the after party just on time, but I was able to interview the one it person, the star of the show. Like that was just such a cool moment. And then not to mention, she was so cool. She gave me like the biggest hug and she was like, oh girl, you can do this. Like, don't, don't second guess yourself. I kind of stuttered off the beginning, off the top of the interview because I was nervous. And she's like, no, 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 you got it. It's just me. I, it's just you and your Lady Gaga. This is the coolest thing ever. Um, that's a really fun story. And then I'll give you another one just because I've had the luxury of interviewing so many A-list celebrities and so many iconic musicians and, and pop stars. But one that I've always loved and that I always said would be my number one interview is No Doubt and Gwen Stefani. For me, No Doubt was a band who shaped my listening at such an early age. It was the first CD I bought with my own money. And it was just this person, well, Gwen, I just looked up to and I always dressed like her and I wanted to be like her. And I thought she was so cool. I watched every single interview. My walls were covered with her posters. During the pandemic, an opportunity came up to interview her and my producer calls me and she says, hey, uh, is this a good time? And I was like, yeah, is everything okay? Oh my gosh, what's going on? She's like, no, 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 don't worry. It's, it's something really, really great. And I was like, okay. And she's like, you know that one person in your career you've never interviewed, but you've dreamt of interviewing since you were a little girl? Gwen Stefani. And she's like, girl, it's happening. It's <laughs> happening. And I was like, I had the same like, like giddy little girl, like, oh my God, this is the coolest thing ever. Sweating and kind of like having my own solo dance party. Then I, I would call my producer before the interview and I was like, oh my gosh, I don't know if I can do this. I'm so nervous. Like I, I don't get nervous really anymore, but I'm nervous. And it be, it's because little Lizzie is sitting behind me. You know, little Lizzie's like, this is the greatest thing in your life. You need to <laughs> be cool. You need to show her that you're the, you're just like her and you could be her friend. And I just put, you know, just funny kid stuff, but yeah. So I did the interview and I will say it's 
the most proud I've ever walked out of an interview. I feel like we had so many great moments and we were just talking as friends. And at one point, multiple, multiple times she was like, that's a really thoughtful question. Oh, thank you for saying that. Or, you know, I kind of word vomited out some fangirl stuff, but I think she could totally read my energy through a zoom screen, which so much of my job is reading energy in a room. And, um, with her, she was just like, I feel like I'm in therapy. And to me, it was just like, Oh girl, I just did a little victory dance. Like you got it, you got it, whatever. And, you know, <laughs> you know, uh, I think it's, it's moments like that where you can be in your craft, you can be doing a great job and you can also interview someone who's changed your life. Like Gwen for me inspired me in so many ways. She, she, gave me confidence to dress how I wanted to dress. She gave me confidence to um, be the only girl to join in a boy band. You know, like I, I picked up the bass guitar. I was total shit at bass guitar, but I was in a band at one point because of Gwen. And I think that confidence that she instilled in me at such a young age, it still resonates with me. I still like, it still sits. Little Lizzie's still inside and Little Lizzie was real stoked that day. It's Sarah Burke here, the host of the Women in Media podcast and the founder of the Women in Media Network. Yep, now there's an entire network. I've been working really hard to get things off the ground. And what would I do without coffee? I can barely function without it. But I feel much better about putting a coffee that's full of superfoods in my body. I've been loving the Focus Fuel Instant Mushroom Coffee from Organic Traditions. And of course, all the ingredients are organic. It's packed with lion's mane mushroom to support memory, focus, and cognitive function, adaptogens to nourish your brain, and MCT powder to boost your energy and improve mental clarity. And before you make that face, no, it doesn't taste like mushrooms. It tastes like coffee. Actually better than most. There are hints of cinnamon and vanilla, and it is absolutely delicious. Did I mention it also just won Best New Mushroom Enhanced Beverage in a 2024 Brand Spark survey? Want to try the Focus Fuel Mushroom Coffee yourself? Head to OrganicTraditions.com and use the promo code WOMENINMEDIA20 for 20% off at checkout. And by the way, that applies for the entire site, not just the coffee. You're welcome. Just add water and get at it. Oh, man, that sounds amazing. So what about an interview that went sideways, like where you had to recover? A a lot of this podcast is going to look at us recovering in the spotlight, which is a hard thing. Oh, oh. I don't even, I mean... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> you know, where to begin? <laughs> where to begin? Well, especially early on in my career, I I used to watch like interview after interview that Strombo would conduct because I really loved his interview style, how it was so conversational. Um, but unfortunately, in our job, we don't always get the most time. So sometimes we're put on the spot for like four minutes. You have four minutes, and that's it. Um, and also sometimes, you know, celebrities and artists are people too. And they're having a bad day. And the last thing I want to do is talk to you, <laughs> you know, like, yeah, like yeah, totally. the last thing I want to do is talk on television. Like I, I I'm having a really bad day, you know? So I guess one that really sits with me and I, I, it's just the best because I look back at the moment and it was so funny, but it was Juno's in Ottawa. It was freezing cold. When I say it was minus 30 it was minus 30 and I had a big faux fur jacket on and this little dress and pantyhose on, but pantyhose were the, was the only protection from the cold. (laughs) And this I'm setting you up because I need you to picture this moment. My hands were numb. They were like blue. Um, My co-host at the time, Jesse was wearing like a blazer. Like we were just so underdressed and it was the red carpet was outside. The red carpet was outside in the middle of winter in Ottawa. So people can understand that it was cold. William Shatner gets out of the car. He's the host of the show. He comes up and I, like, it was a moment my mouth was frozen. And I was like, <laughs> so, um, uh, um, and we're live on TV at this time. But I could not get the words together because my mouth was so frozen. You were like was, shattering? Your teeth was, were like actually shattering at William Shatner. Like I was just like, uh, so, um, uh, 
and I couldn't get the word out. I was like, Justin Bieber. Um, uh, and it was one of these things, like, I just, I could not get my thoughts together. I could not get my mouth to move. And he goes, uh, 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 is this going to take all day? <laughs> oh. And the embarrassment that I had, I was like, everybody's watching this back up. But my, you know, my, my co-host at the time, Jesse, like totally swept in, swooped, swooped in. And he was like, excuse me, Mr. Shatner. She's just a little bit cold and a little bit starstruck. What she's meaning to say. And he picked it up and totally smoothed it over. But that's also, you know, a, a great example of your co-host having your back and having, you know, being peers with your, your coworkers and, and people on your team. And I was so embarrassed after, but now I look back and I'm like, that is so funny. Like <laughs> the fact that William Shatner burned me, it was so <laughs> gold. And then after his I don't think his wife realized that we were live on TV. And she was like, William, William. He's just like, I'm so sorry. That was not very nice. And I was like, it's okay. It's fine. I'm fine. Meanwhile, I'm just like frozen icicle. And this moment had just destroyed me, but it was fine. I got over it and now we're good. It's only fair that I tell one too. I think- um, Please do. (laughs) I think you'll appreciate this. Um, So there was one time where I was going to get to interview Laura Jane Grace. And I had already interviewed, uh, you know, Tom Gable of Against Me before the transition. Um, And you remember that big like Rolling Stone cover story and everything Mm -hmm. like that was a big part of media history, I think, too. Um, But I was really excited at that thought. Just I Against Me is one of my favorite bands, you know, and because I was so in my head about that moment, it got to the point where I was like, my equipment for doing an interview on site is not good enough. Like I got to switch it up. I'm going to see what else I can use from work. So um, I went back to the newsroom at the time, AM 980, and got this large clunky device that recorded really good quality wave files. I was like, great, sign me up. So I bring it to the venue. It was at the London Music Hall and it's in one of the rooms there. I have the greatest conversation with Laura Jane Grace. Like I'm just like in the moment feeling it at one point about like, I'm going to say like 16 minutes in, I look down and it's not recording. Oh my gosh. No. (laughs) So I notice I'm suddenly not very present. I wait till, you know, Laura's done answering whatever the one question is. And she was talking about slash at the time. Like Mm. I was so (laughs) pumped and trying not to kill the moment. And then I was like, Oh, um, I just got to figure out one thing here, one thing here. And like, that's an example of like, when you're not in the moment, the artist doesn't feel like connected to you. Right. So Mm. we were connected the whole way, suddenly out, not interested, annoyed, irritated. And like, that's someone I love so much. It killed me inside. It killed me. But you know, you recover, you, you find your way back for the, there's always another interview. There's always another time you might cross paths with that person. And, um, one day, this is how I describe moments like that in the media business. It's like, you can feel your chest getting red. You can feel yourself getting hot and you're like crawling into like your skin and being like, I'm just going to go melt into the wall. Bye. (laughs) I, I picked this up from someone else, but it's a moment where you just wish I've never wished that the world would just open up and swallow me whole. The idea of the world just parting, the actual earth and the ground parting, and then goodbye. <laughs> just You're like, I'm just going to peace out for a little bit. Um, yeah, it's that transferred embarrassment. And, and, and we all feel it, especially anybody. I mean, you don't even have to do our job to feel that embarrassment. I mean, we've all been there. We've all had an interview go, go wrong, uh, you know, an interview with a boss or a a meeting with a boss that's gone wrong and technical difficulty. Like there's, there's, everybody has those moments. Doesn't matter what career you're in, you have those moments. So good for you for recovering on it. Absolutely. Now, another thing I wanted to bring up with you, um, and I, I'm not looking to drop names here. Like this, this is not a conversation about, um, you know, the people who have wronged me in my past. Although if those people are listening, oh, I remember you. <laughs> um, <laughs> But look at me now. Look at me. No, it's not like that. It's not like that. It's almost like looking back at my younger self, obviously, many lessons learned, right? Mm -hmm. But is there, you know, a a time where you haven't felt empowered by female coworkers? Like I can think of bullying from above and below. And Mm -hmm. it's it's really hard because, you know, especially when you're already fighting to be that that woman, like 
maybe it's the one woman around the table. Maybe it's the one woman on TV. Maybe it's the one woman on, you know, the radio lineup for the day. But when there's already a shortage of opportunity to then compete with each other is a whole other thing. Like you and I, even how we used to feel about each other, mm. we were never rude to each other. I think we both did a really good job of like putting on the face and yeah. kudos to you. Cause I never knew you felt like that. Oh, I mean, I, when I, when I say it was also, let's just go back to that moment too. Like when I was like kind of pissed that you got that job, I was also like, I literally met you. I didn't know you at the, well, no, I knew you from class, but I didn't really know you. When you got the job also, I was like, Sarah's so much better than me. Like she's like, she is so good. Like your voice is meant for radio. Like you have such a good rasp. I feel that way about your rasp. (laughs) But that's so funny because I think back to like, yeah, you were the obvious pick. Like you were the, the person. And that is such a good example of, this is what one of my girlfriends told me, who is an actress. And she said, just because you don't get the part doesn't mean that you're not good. It just means you weren't right for the role. And I think that is so important. Just because you don't get the promotion, just because you don't get the big interview, just because you don't get that position or that raise or whatever it is, it's just not your time. Your time will come or, you know, something else is lined up for you. And I'm such a firm believer in that because yes, early on in my career, I mean, even still, I've, I've had moments where people who I've looked up to didn't always read me well and weren't always the warmest and friendliest to me in the hallways. Um, there was a coworker of mine who I had looked up to for so long. And there was a moment, uh, of a misunderstanding of something I had said. And this person thought I was taking a jab at them and it couldn't have been further from the truth. Like it was just, I, I had looked up to this person and had such a, I, I put them on a pedestal, you know, like I was so in This awe. is all part of the insecurity thing that yeah. we, keep, we keep talking about because we sometimes feel like something's directed at us when it's not even at all. Yeah, exactly. And unfortunately it, it kind of it kind of blew up and it, it became more of a thing than it needed to be and to this day it's not totally resolved but all i wanted to say to that person is this was a complete misunderstanding like you do not know that this is actually what happened and but i also think that it's important to realize that everybody's got their own thing and insecurities lie within all of us and um to be cautious and conscious of like what we're saying and when we're saying it and that goes into me having like these second guesses and be like did that sound okay does that go okay because (laughs) I worry now you know I'm very sensitive about what I say and and, um, aware of what I say but uh, yeah I think things don't always go according to plan but then I also have an example of some someone you know who wasn't the warmest to me at the beginning but then now we're best friends and it's like in the industry, especially with women, I will say, we are stronger together than we are individually. And if we can just all understand that we all have a role and our role is very different from the other person's, that's okay. You know, we're in a competitive industry. There aren't that many roles. There aren't that many positions on radio. There aren't that many positions on TV. But if we can all kind of be united and all understand that we all have our own things to offer we all there's a reason we were casted on tv in some ways you know there's a reason we are on a cast and i think it's super important for all of us to lift one another up and cheer for those big moments that they have and not be envious or jealous and try and take those those ideas and push them away because we're all we got in some ways you know like we're (laughs) this is what we got we might as well rise above. And I I do, you know, I always think of Michelle Obama pretty much every day, but Michelle Obama, she, when they go low, we go high. And you know, it's funny. She hasn't responded to me about coming on this podcast yet. Weird. (laughs) Hey, never say never, man. Michelle is the OG queen boss. I want her to become president of the world. She just, I I just, I love her. I listen to her, her interview, the amount of Michelle Obama interviews I've watched. It's embarrassing if you see my YouTube suggestions. (laughs) Well, and if you know anything about her, right? Like if you've watched the documentaries and all the things, like, you know that like she, she's so good at that stuff and she never even meant to be doing that stuff. Like she's always been like doing Mm -hmm. work that's important to her, but I don't think she ever meant to do it in the spotlight like this. 
And it also goes to show you, she is such a firm believer in women supporting women and um, rising each other up and, and banding together and saying like, let's, let's do this together. Let's not, we're not, we're not in this alone. And Michelle Obama just is the epitome of a woman supporting a woman. And I think we all need those moments. We all need those reality checks. Trust me. We all can get it, have our moments. We all can get in our own heads and have our own insecurities. But in my experience, be, be kind, be a good person, do a good job and the rest will follow. You know, another lesson I learned early on is not everyone's going to like you and that's okay. And that's yeah. okay. You know, and that's a hard pill for, to swallow, especially it, when you're starting out in your career, not everyone's going to like you. Not everyone's going to like what you say. Not everyone's going to vibe with you. And that's okay. That's like other people kind of, are. Yeah, totally. And you know, for one, every 100 great comments you get, you'll get one that's sour and you'll remember that one, but that one will make you stronger. And also it's okay that it exists. You know, it's okay to have different opinions and, and butt heads. And again, not everyone's going to like you. Yeah. So I'm a very confrontational person when something is not good. I like to like talk about it right away. And that, that goes for men and women in my life that goes for it, it doesn't matter if it's professional or personal. Like ask my sister how many times I've tried to be like, hey, I need to talk to you. And she's like, not, now is not a good time, Sarah. I know what you're about to say right now. So that's that's one thing. I wish women would talk to each other more because there's so much assumption. There's so much getting mm-hmm. in your head about something, letting it stew. When if you have the conversation, like it's confrontation doesn't mean you're being a bitch. Confrontation means that you want to talk through something. You want to add perspective to what you've seen on a topic. And that is so valuable when, you know, so many people are thinking in this like narrow-minded space. Yeah. And I think that's such an important thing for all of us to remember that again, go back to like each person is a person and like we all have feelings and we all have emotions and we all get in our heads and we all like need to talk it out sometimes but at the same time <laughs> i've also learned that just because it's time for me in my head it's not time yes. for everybody <laughs> you know like know oh, your yeah. audience be in a, com- a comfortable place to receive it and yes. vice versa but um i've lived by that like if i'm having an issue with anything anyone like if there's been a misunderstanding i want to talk it out and i'm such a firm believer in talking it out, hashing it out, getting your point out and then hearing their point and, and learning from that. And if there was a mistake made, owning up to it, accepting it. Yeah. I've got lots of mistakes that I've had to own up to like in and out of the spotlight. And that also helps you grow. Those are all lessons learned. So absolutely. Yeah. Well, it's been so nice talking to you. Um, It's crazy to me. Like if you would have told Sarah Burke from 2008 that you thought those things of me at that time, that you were thinking I was perfect for the role, like it blows my mind. It actually blows my mind. I wish I would have said that too. Instead, I was like, I'm going to act cool. I'm going to like whatever. I like Kings of Leon. (laughs) (laughs) No, but when we, we have to also prefaces too. Like we were friends. Like we were, we would, we were definitely friendly. We would go out together and and stuff like that. But it is it is funny to look back. I mean, we were both young and insecure, but to look at each other and have having known that each of us had our moment of admiration for the other, it's like if we just like said, "Yo, girl, you do your thing." Like I should have been like, "I'm stoked you got FM ninety six. I'm a bit jealous. I'm gonna be perfectly honest, but." it's okay. Like it's, it's things worked out, you know, I think we're doing a pretty good job and yes, you know, I want to hear three women that you think I need to have on this podcast, uh, in the future. Three women. First up, I'm going to say my best friend, Kathleen Newman Bramang, because she is refinery 29, right? Refinery 29. Yeah. Unbothered. She has, you know, she was there the first day I auditioned to be a much music VJ. That was the first day of our friendship, basically budding. I was trying to be friendly to her in the hall and she's like I'm not allowed to talk to the VJ contestants very <laughs> funny but then I won and she, you know we were both just starting out she was an intern and and then I got hired and then she got hired and so our careers have definitely been parallel in so many ways um but then she's just such a boss she is the epitome of someone who has a goal goes after it and conquers it and rises above she is paving a way for so many 
voices in I really respect her writing that's you know I've always in my back pocket loved writing and I I feel like I loved it so much but I never really felt like I could do it properly and you know when I read her work I'm just like wow yeah and she is someone who I go to for advice all the time but you know she's she had a career and a goal to be in television but then really had a love for writing and she's pivoted that and gone into this incredible career lane and totally dominated and this is the, the coolest thing about it is like she's not even close to where she's gonna go like I'm so excited to cheer her on and she always used to say she's like I'm the Gail to your Oprah and I'm like no girl you're the Oprah Gail's there too and I'm just gonna be the sidekick like I'm gonna be like the sound guy in the back rooting you on you know what I mean like <laughs> it's so cool to watch her career just blossom and she's so important in the black community but also just so important in our world too just to be teaching lessons and and she's I'm constantly learning from her too about everything on the daily about world issues racist issues she's changed my perspective on many things yeah and I think she's so good with words And I find that I'm not great with words, which is funny because I'm in television, but she is someone that is so good with words and so powerful with her words. And I just look up to her every single day. Another person I think you should have on your podcast is Kayla Gray. Kayla Gray, first time I ever met her, she gave me a hug at Soho House. I was wearing a white shirt and she had this beautiful red lipstick on it. And you know, when you give like someone a hug and it's kind of an awkward angle and she planted those red lips right on my shirt. And she was like, oh my gosh, I'm so sorry. I just got red lipstick all over your white shirt. And I was like, you know what, it's okay. And (laughs) at the time I didn't really know who Kayla was. She was starting out in media and she was kind of just starting. It was at the Soho House in Toronto and she was kind of looking to Kathleen and I for advice. Meanwhile, Kayla Gray, Miss Kayla Gray is one to watch. If you don't know who she is, you need to know who she is. She is a force to be reckoned with. She's on TSN. She is a woman in sports. That is a very tough industry, tough field. You know, there's not too many positions there. She's a black woman in television um, and she is leading the way and being a pioneer for black voices in media. And I just am in complete and utter awe of what she's doing with her career. She's a mom. She's younger than me. She's wise beyond her years. You would never even know her age if she said it. It's just one of those things that she's an old soul, but she's a smart soul. And I think I just love her. I love that we are cheerleading other women on here too, who like maybe don't even know that they are killing it. Yeah. It's important to do that. It's important to rise each other up. And I think, I mean, you give me three names, but I could give you over a hundred. Like I have so many women in my life who inspire me on the daily and who are constantly rising me up. But meanwhile, I'm on the sidelines being like, you go girl, you got this. <laughs> okay. So who's your last one? I would say Aaliyah Jasmine. You know, Aaliyah Jasmine is someone who has been in the media world. I, she was on MTV. I was on Munch Music when we first met, but she decided to make a, a move to LA. And so in so many ways, she inspired me to move to LA and just kind of conquer that dream of mine. Um, you know, my husband's in music, so it was a right move for us both. But uh, watching what she's done, she's very passionate about um, the environment and animal rights. And she's such a great activist in our world and in, for our planet. But she's also so, I remember, you know, looking up to her, thinking she was so cool and thinking- I remember. Same thing. She she just had like her shit together. You know what I mean? Like, and she was also so nice. Like when I first started, I was so intimidated to ever talk to anybody, any of the VJs at MTV, any of the VJs at much music. I was just kind of a scared little chicken. And she, she's, you know, like at a party once she was like, Hey, you're the new VJs. Congratulations. Your video was so great. Like, Oh my gosh. Yeah. Have you met so-and-so and And was just so nice and kind of opened up in so many ways that I was surprised. And I don't know why I should have been, I shouldn't have been surprised, but she is who you see. And I think it's, uh, it's definitely someone you should talk to. She's having a really incredible journey. I watched her a lot on TV when we were uh, younger. She was like maybe just a couple years ahead of you on getting on, on MTV maybe, right? Yeah, but she was just, because MTV had started a few years before I started at Much Music. It was kind of a newer thing. It was like 
five years in when I had started on Much Music. Aaliyah is very smart. Like she's a very smart woman. And I always loved how articulate she was with her thoughts. And she always has a passion in her voice. And she's she's a great journalist, but she's also a great representation of a woman in media. Absolutely. Okay. Well, thank you so much. I love how this all came out of like, I had posted about a band's record that I liked, the new Teenage Wrist record. And you were like, hey, how come I'm not following you? This is weird. I saw them post about you. I saw them. They're my friends. They play in my husband's band. And it was like the weirdest, smallest world. I was like, It's very funny how the world and the universe works, but I do believe that things happen for a reason. I think it's important to have conversations, even, you know, like this is what, 12 years, 13 years later from us being at Chorus Radio, these little baby disc jockeys, me with my raspy party girl voice. And we do have to dig up those tapes. (laughs) Please not for this podcast. Liz sounded hungover, even if she wasn't though, just for context. I also just lost my voice all the time. That was another thing I had to learn early on. I was like, how to keep your voice when you have a raspy voice and you have to talk for a living. It was amazing that we could both tell each other the things we admire about each other. And I loved it so much. Thank you for coming on. Oh, that's the representation of girl love. I love it. Back at you, lady. There was something so therapeutic about this episode. If you're enjoying what you've been hearing on this podcast, Please subscribe wherever you listen and follow along for guest announcements and more at Women in Media Pod on social networks. That was for you, Liz. Until next episode, which will take us from entertainment to sports, I'm Sarah Burke. Thanks for listening. I'm Debbie Travis. And I'm Tommy Smythe. And this is Trust Me, I'm a Decorator. We're now podcasters. And why did we call it that? Well, you know us as decorators, but we've got lots more to share. We want to talk about travel and relationships. We're going to have amazing guests on. Guests who inspire us for sure. We'll probably talk about design too. And of course, Tommy, don't forget about food. Oh my gosh, how did I forget about food? So please follow or subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or as they say, wherever you get your podcast. And we'll pop right up when we have a new episode. Where's us luck? This podcast is distributed by the Women in Media Podcast Network. Find out more at womeninmedia.network.